Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, I'm Norma, and I am a recovering addict. Hi, Norma. Hey, listeners, that was Norma. Welcome to Prevention 365 Podcast, where prevention is every day and every way. I'm Jeannie Shimatsu, your host, and today's conversation is the voice you just heard, Norma. She's three years in recovery, and her story is representative of many women who have reclaimed their life and identity from drug addiction. So Norma, share share a little bit about who you are. Hi, um, like I said, my name's Norma. Um, I'm a recovering addict, been clean three years. I'm a mother of seven beautiful kids and a grandmother to a, a beautiful granddaughter. Um, I am regaining my life back in so many ways that I never thought I could uh, imagine. Um, I'm also working in what happens to be the one of the best careers I ever chose to be. And I'm also studying to be a drug um, drug counselor. Norma, that's so awesome. I am so proud of you. I know that you had a lot of dark days that you had to go through in order to become this woman that you are, like a warrior woman. Uh, thank you. Um, whew, let me see. I have been through hell and back. Um, my darkest days were the days I thought I was living. You know, I had my family. I had my kids, I had my house, but I wasn't just me. I was living a double life where I was, yeah, being a mom, being responsible, but I also had my dark side, which my dark dark side ended up win, winning and took over my life, which I needed to get out that cycle. And I seek the help I, I needed and I got regained my control in my life. You know, I've been thrown so many knives in my addiction. I lost my family. I lost myself. I was homeless. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I just was living a bad life where I was trying to be good, but everything, every choice I made would always go, uh, go back to my addiction. My addiction took part of my life. And it took the biggest and most years that I needed to be there for my kids. Tell me about your kids, especially your daughter. You you had mentioned when we talked earlier about your oldest daughter and how she was a real important reason why you had to come to terms with your addiction. What's the story? Tell us about her. Um, okay, my oldest daughter, she's more, she's my daughter, but she's more like my best friend. She's more like, at the time, she was more like my enemy. And I had her at a very young age. I was 17 when I got pregnant. When I got, I was 16 when I got pregnant with her, and I had her at 17. And, um, you know, that was my first child. I was young. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, but I was able to provide for her. And um, when I started my addiction, I noticed the little, the little separation we had from each other. I just... I didn't like her. I didn't want like nothing to do with her. Um, I just, I don't know. I re- like in a way I kind of regretted having her at the, at the moment, but then I would never, t- I would never tell her, but she, I, she'll feel it with my actions. And 
So it was just a, a ugly battle that I didn't I don't want to go through again. And um, yeah, when she got older, um, she knew I I was on drugs, and she wanted she was crying for that attention she need, wanted from when she from when she had it, and um, speaking her mind. Me and her would always get into arguments, and I really didn't know what to do. So um, I started losing her as my daughter, as a friend. And, you know, me and her ended up having that relationship where it looked like we were enemies. And so um, one day she just, you know, she was already grown. She's already in her 20s. And she told me she was pregnant. And she told me either you be a mom and a grandma or just be a grandma without being a grandma. And she's like, at least do that for my child since you couldn't do it for us. And that, it didn't sneak, uh, sink in yet, but until I knew she was about to deliver my granddaughter, when I was like, this is not me, this is, you know, I got another chance in life to be a, a, a mom, be a grandma. So I seek the help and I got the help from ADAP and I checked into um, treatment. So that was, so in a way it's, it's, that's so interesting, Norma, that it took your daughter to have your granddaughter Mm -hmm. whom you adore now that you've shared with me uh, before that, that was what finally got you to turn it around. So in your conversation with your daughter, you said that you guys got really deep and really honest. And what was it that your daughter shared with you? She shared the fact that even though I was there with her, I wasn't there. I was just a person she hated. You know, I she, all that love that she had for me growing up turned into hatred where she just we couldn't get along and she didn't want to be like that. She wanted her mom, her mom back. And which it's understandable. Every parent, every child wants their mom, that love from their mom. Since um, I was her only parent. Um, luckily her, my my parents stepped up and helped, helped raise her. And um, she was kind of literally scared that I was going to end up dying from my addiction. Mm. Was there any point, and I'm kind of taking you back on this, because you mentioned several things in one quick sentence about being homeless and being a mom of seven kids and losing everything. That is a crazy experience, multiple experiences. And Mm -hmm. how did that take place with you? Did you have your, was this homelessness happen before you had kids or after you had kids? How did all this play out? Um, I became homeless when I got my kids taken away. They, uh, social services either said the kids get taken out the house and separate to foster care or me and their father leave the house and they stay together. So we chose to leave. So the kids could stay together. So at that time, I wasn't working. So I had a truck at the at the at the time, and I was staying in my in my truck for a while. So, were you able to get out of homelessness, or how long did that continue? 
I was homeless for about four years until I got into treatment. After treatment, that's when my parents opened up the doors again and I was able to live with them for a while until I started getting on my feet. And so when during those four years and all that transition, transitional period, what were you going through? What were the feelings you were going through? I was going through so many things. Um, I was at first I kind of when I got my kids taken away, I wasn't in denial about it. But I was like, then I looked at it like, oh, it's a party. I, you know, have I don't have no responsibility. But then again, I've noticed that I wasn't fully um, myself. I knew I was missing something and it was my kids. And I was just like, okay, whatever. Like I was kind of dead inside. So, um, you know, I'll, even though I'll see my kids, I just wanted to be with them and knowing that I couldn't be with them. That's like aggravated me more. So instead of fixing the problem, I kept adding more fuel Mm. to the fire. I kept going harder on the drugs. You know, what's really interesting about that, because you said you had your daughter when you were really young. So when you when you were homeless or when you you essentially partied like what you would have done in high school, meaning you found some, you decided to explore who you were then. But at the same time, it sounds like you realized that really wasn't as important as your family. I mean, that's really an interesting process that you had to go through that. Um, When you were gone out of your children's life, and I know this is, you shared the oldest daughter, do you feel like this had an impact or what kind of impact did it have on your other children without? Oh, oh my God, that impact. I didn't know that, that how much it impacted their lives. Um, not only did they lose, you know, they lost their, both their parents, you know, I didn't see the damage I did because I wasn't behind closed doors with them. I didn't see my, my youngest child crying every night look, looking for me. And I didn't see her running down down the driveway seeing where to follow me when I would leave. I didn't see my son crying for me. I didn't see all the bad that I was doing. I would hear about it, but I never seen it. I I felt it when I was in my addiction and I it just that feeling in my heart knew my kids were missing me and they were calling for me. And you know during my times when I was homeless I wouldn't feel right. So I would go at, go to my house and just peek through the window and then I'll just, you know, so let my, my, my little, um, my easiness will um, be cleared. But it was a lot. It, you know, it took a toll on both um, my kids and myself, especially on myself, because that's when I hit, uh, my depression hit me hard. And the only way I know to cope with it was to keep getting high. So it was this crazy catch-22 where the addiction made you crave it, and yet you wanted to pull out, and the depression just kept it going because you couldn't see your way out at that point. Is that what I'm hearing? It was more of, I I didn't crave it. I hated it, but it 
calmed my nerves. It it kind of like soothed the pain, but the pain was still there when I'll be sober. It'll, I noticed the pain was much, much harder when I was the days I didn't use. Because that's where reality was reality, right? Yes. Yes. And my reality is my reality sucked at that time. And I I didn't know what to do. I didn't have nobody to talk to. I didn't, you know, not only did I lose my my kid's father, I just, you know, I was on my own. He wasn't trying to do anything. He wasn't supporting me. So I was like, well, this is me. I got to do me now. This I got to be the one to get myself out of this black hole that I put myself into. And, you know, the days I'll go visit my kids, I'll be there all day. And um, it felt good, but reality kick, will kick me in the ass. And when I'll say my goodbyes, mm, mm. the goodbyes were the hardest things to say to them because there'll be days where I will not see them for like, you know, a week or two. So what did you have to do to get your kids back? What was some of your conditions that you had to meet for yourself, but also meet for the courts? Well, um, I don't have custody of my kids. My parents got a little guardianship. And since I'm barely getting on my feet, my dad goes, as long as you do a program, you're able to visit them. And so when I finished, I completed my program at ADAP. Um, my d- parents let me back in the house. I stayed with them. And so I got on my feet. And now that I'm doing good, I'm working, I'm sober, I'm, you know, being a positive role model for my kids, I'm able to have my kids on the weekends I'm off. What kind of conversations do you have with them? Are they? Do they ever ask you, why were you using or what happened to you when you would leave the house? Did they ever ask you that? Um, my little one at the time she was four years old, she'll ask me, mommy, where are you going? And I would always lie to her. And the lies were the, the killer for, for the relationship between us. And now that she's older, we talk about it and I'm really, really open about it. I don't deny it. Mm-hmm. And, um, my kids were like, you know, they tell me they were scared that they were going to get a call or my dad was going to tell them. Your mommy died because she was on drugs, you know. So behind that, their greatest fear was they're going to lose you permanently then. And yes. That's ah. Yes. Uh, let's take a let's take a few steps back. Uh, Norma, can you tell me about where you grew up and what was your childhood like? What, what kind of child were you and what was that? What was your childhood like? Um, you know what? Growing up, I I was born in Torrance. I but raised in Hawthorne. Um, growing up was I think was a a good. It was good. I had a, I was the only girl out of two boys. Um, I was daddy's girl. I, my dad, and my my parents, they sacrificed a lot to provide for me and my brothers. And um, I you know I I was, I guess I was more tomboy. Then girly girl, I was more the adventurous one, the spontaneous one. I was the one putting my parents through hell. Not because I was bad. I was just a little curious. You know, I was just an adventurer. Just I wanted to 
I was a free spirit little kid running around, you know, trying to be like my older brother, you know, hanging around with his friends, you know. And so um, I wasn't fighting or anything. I was just more, okay, yeah, I'll be wearing a dress. Okay, I'll get that. I'll get dirty like a boy would, you know. <laughs> so, you know, my mom was like, she'll be mad at me because she'll have me all dressed up. And then when she'll see me again later on, I'll be all my hair all messed up. Like I had no mom. So you basically you when you played, you played hard. You went out there and hung out with your friends and you went out there and you enjoyed playing. Um, yes. You know, I just wanted to ask, though. Um, was there any for you when you were growing up? Was there any um, early exposure to things like alcohol, weed, anything like that? Um, was there any early exposure to you? Well, in my family, there were al- there were alcoholics. Um, cocaine was around. You know, we would hear that so and so would do it was doing it and. We will find baggies in our bathroom, but we've never seen the product. So we knew it it was around in our family, but we never seen actually seen it, you know. And so like when I was like yeah, I can say like around nine, ten, when I started being nosy and then I'll be in the in my house, you know, um we'll find baggies, we'll find scales, we'll find like bags that had white powder in it but we never like tasted it so we just moved it out the way and just you know grabbed the towel or something so for you when you first started to maybe explore in drugs in this mm-hmm. case you had mentioned alcohol what yeah was that how did, how did it get into that because you mentioned something about a low-key being a low-key drinker and I was kind of curious what led to that um well since we would always have family parties we always had a lot of beer we had a lot of liquor um you know just being little kids we would just grab like a little cup with liquor beer and just taste it see if we like it some beers we didn't some some beers I did and then once I started like seeing the bottles I'm like oh okay you know, we'll put a little bit of soda until, like, you know, little by little, I started going more to, like, the liquor. Mm-hmm. So, in, in high school, you know, my dad, he didn't, he paid attention. When I was older, he he paid attention to me and everything. But the thing is, since I was playing softball at the time, I was never home. You know, my the girls I used to play softball with, they used to drink. So, my dad had bottles around of Jose Cuervo or, you know, tequila, vodka and all that. So I'll put them in a water bottle. And then when I, when I, whenever I'll go with my friends, I would, um, you know, drink. And I'm like, oh, I got this. And that. so, you know, we all find in a water bottle with, with either vodka or tequila. So um, when, when you drank, um, did you feel like, do you feel like you were um, drinking regularly and heavily? Do you feel like it that went to the point of alcoholism, or do you feel like it kind of leapt from there to later on a different use? You know, it didn't. I was I drank a lot, but I didn't drink. I drank just to fit in. I drank because my friends were drinking. 
I drank because I don't want to be that one girl that all oh, that. Oh, she's not drinking. She's not down. You know, she's not having fun. She's a party pooper. You know, I drank to be accepted. And, you know, so, yeah. So on occasion, yeah, I would just, okay, we'll go to parties, whatever. And boom, I will know people that can buy me bottles or buy me beer. So we'll have parties. I'll bring the beers and sure enough, I'll show up with what I said. And at the time, I didn't think it was a problem until when my dad, my dad started noticing all the, all the bottles were started, were all filled with halfway water, you know, and not tasting great. He was like, what's, uh, have you been drinking? I'm like, no. Oh, but he knew. Yeah, he knew. He you know, can't and I, the number. Yeah, I can't. I, you know, my dad. He was like, "If you're gonna drink, at least drink in my house." You know, I don't want you drinking out because, for one, you're a girl. Two, you're young. Three, something bad happens. I don't want you know. It. You know, I don't want it to have. You know, I don't want anything bad happening to you, which is understandable. And at that time, my brother was my older brother was. He's only five years apart. We're five years apart, and um, he was a drinker. So when he have his friends over drinking. I'll be right there drinking a beer with him or so, or taking shots. So, you know, at that time, I didn't see it as a problem. So and, I guess. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I So I guess, you know, it was tolerated in the family. I didn't think it was going to be a problem. And then at that point, when did it go from the out from alcohol into your later drug of choice? Um, when I met my my kid's father, his little crowd was the druggy crowd. And I was a drinker. So when I started partying with him and his his friends, um, I would see it, but I would I wasn't like I would smoke weed here and there, but I didn't like it. And then um the my curiosity got the best of me and I tasted it. And my first drug of choice was uh, crystal meth. And um, it was heaven. Like a kid in a candy store. It felt so good that I wanted more. I'm wondering why why crystal meth? What did it what what did you want? What did it do for you that you felt you needed at that time? And then when did you feel it changed you into the um, you weren't? I felt, I liked the way, how I, it made me feel, it gave me energy. It made me feel accepted. It made me be somebody I, I was, you know, it made me feel happy. You know, I was full of life. I was energetic. So, you know, it just gave me a rush. And how long did that, time last where it finally caught up with you and it wasn't that pleasant experience anymore and you found that you were changing um yeah like almost 16 years into my addiction where I just I had already lost my kids I hit rock bottom I not only did I lose my kids I also lost a child during my addiction so Mm -hmm. seeing all these bad things happen my only way of coping was to get high to numb my pain. So once I had the opportunity to change, I jumped on it. 
But my turning point was when I was on a 40-hour hold at a mental hospital and where either I get help for myself from killing myself or get help from killing my my boyfriend at the time. So tell me about treatment. And so at that point, you went into treatment, right? Yeah. No, I was in a 40-hour hold. I detoxed in a mental hospital. And then right there at the mental hospital, one of the nurses told me if I wanted to change my ways. And I said, yeah, I can't be living like this. You know, I don't, I'm not this person. My parents didn't raise me to be like this. They raised me as a fun, loving person. You know, I was, I'm lovable. I'm, you know, I, I was the life of the party growing up, you know, and I didn't want to be hurt. I didn't want to go through pain. I don't want to be out in the streets no more. I wanted my life back. I wanted to be a mom. And so she introduced me to ADAP and I checked in April 23rd, 2018. Awesome. Look, and I love your smile when you said that. Gosh, because I could tell that it means something to you. Yeah. You can't see Norma. She's beaming. So Norma, talk about your treatment. I mean, you don't have to share everything, but what was it about treatment that made you learn about yourself? You know what? I, the structure, we have a lot of structure. We have a lot of writing. We have to write so much where in my writing, I found my way back. I found, I found me. I found the person I should be, should have been, you know, and finding, I was able to find, I wrote about the past me and then the new me and what I want. And I've, I think I've matured in so many ways, not only as a human being, but as a, um, like, like a, like, like a butterfly, I was able to spread my wings and become myself. And who is that? Tell me, who is this Norma now, this new Norma, second chance Norma? I claim my victory, my warrior warm up. Norma, who are you now? I am the Norma that is unstoppable. I'm the one that overcomes the obstacles that been thrown at, that I'm the one that outshines my past. I'm the person that will, you tell her no, I'm going to say no what and keep going. I'm the, I'm a force to be mess, reckoned with. And I am the mother my kids wanted. I'm the sister. I'm the daughter my family needed. You know, I was a missing piece to the puzzle. Now that I'm back, my family forefront is stronger than ever, you know, my 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 immediate family is happy you know they got their cousin back they got their niece back you know so if you had this opportunity to guide the misguided norma meaning the norma of the young where you saw these mistakes happening and you had this chance to just hey girl gotta listen what would you advise the young norma to be honest, I will have a really heart-to-heart conversation. I will basically tell her what this drug does to you, not only to you, 
to your family, to your friends, to the inside, the outside of you. You know, I'll let them, I'll let her see all the bad it did to me. And I will advise her, you know what? You're beautiful. You're a mom, you're a sister, you're a daughter, you're a cousin. Your family needs you. As much as you need them, they need you more. Norma, that is so inspiring. My God, I got the chills you saying that. Your daughter, your oldest daughter now, what does she think? Uh, she, <laughs> thinks she, she thinks, you know, she's happy. She's, she kind of, she was scared that I wasn't going to go through a treatment because I had, before ADAP, I had went to another treatment facility and I wasn't ready. I left right away. You know, I wasn't ready. I guess at the time I was scared to, for change, you know, because all my life, I all I knew was just the drugs, drugs, drugs and alcohol. And, you know, so when I left the first time, she was like, OK, and it took me like a year and a half later to actually check into treatment where I actually stayed. And to be honest, my parent, my dad and my daughter were hesitant. They're like, you know, I completed the first month. They were like, oh, okay, you're still there. All right, that's good. But once they see that, I was still, you know, there for another long time, for another month. And they're like, oh, okay, you know. So that's when they started um, telling my brothers, yeah, she's actually changing. And um, when I was able to get visits for my, my, my daughter, well, when I was in treatment, I had my granddaughter, my, my daughter had her, her, my granddaughter and um, right before she had her she like they'll let me talk to her on the weekends and she was she told me she was dilated and I wanted to leave I wanted AWOL and I got called by Miss Linda <laughs> the staff and she was like what are you doing you're doing so good why are you leaving oh when she has a baby she'll come visit you and um, sure enough I listened to her, not only her, I listened to other peers that told me, you know, when when she has a baby, she'll come. And sure enough, two weeks later, um, she came with the baby. Uh, so it's it's really interesting how in your life at the right time, there were people who intervened in a way when you were ready and you were ready. I think yes. it's something so critical that you have to be ready. But your granddaughter seems, I just look at your face and your granddaughter seems to have just changed, like how you see things. Yes. I, you know, that's, that's, oh my God, that's, that's my pride and joy. That's my, I always call her my blessing. That was my, my, my willingness to change. She was my purpose. Mm. And I, you know, even though. In order for my recovery to be successful, I had to do it for myself. Yes. But she was my main reason why I did what I'm doing now. You know, looking back at it, I'm glad I did it the way I did it because I wouldn't be in my in my granddaughter's life. You know, but um, me and her, me and her, her a relationship is stronger than ever. That I'm her, I'm her mom, like she called me. She don't call me grandma. She called me mom. <laughs> and just hearing that little voice, even though I, you know, when I was going to uh, group and, and all that, I'll get frustrated. But just going home, seeing her smile and re put her arms up, 
is the best feeling in the whole world. And that's why I'm doing what I did. Not only for her, that, and then having my kids back in, in my life and being there for them, seeing their face when I walk in the, in the house, is that was my purpose. You know, even though I was there with them, but I wasn't there physically, like mentally, I'm there now. And my relationship with all my kids is better than ever. They don't hate me for what I did. And you don't hate yourself. No, I don't hate myself no more. I love myself to a point where I want to be a positive influence on anybody that I come across. You know, that is so, so, such a strong thing for you to do. And if you could just finish a sentence for me, which is my prevention message. So after everything you've been through, what is your prevention message that you want to share with others? My prevention message will have to be rethink your decision because what you're going to suffer now for a few seconds is going to impact your life for the rest of your life. Uh, bad choices have bad uh, follow bad consequences. It's always do right to be right. Oh, man, you summed that up. Wow, Norma, this is really great. I loved your sharing. You shared your heart with us today. It was powerful. Yes. It was real, girls, real and truly inspiring. And so thank you. Thank you for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. And so that wraps up today's conversation on Prevention 365 with Norma. Um we air every Wednesday on Prevention 365 podcast on Believe, Spotify, and Apple. You can also find us on youtube.com slash ADAP Inc. And that's A-A-D-A-P, People Need People. And that's it for today. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.